It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, episode 49. Nick, we're almost at 50. Here to talk about UFC 247, where John Jones lost his title for a second time in a row. This time, oh, stop. against Dominic Reyes. No, um, I, yeah, I don't. I didn't stick around for the decision. Are you telling me he didn't lose that title? He did not lose the title, and I thought it was a very close, competitive, exciting fight. But I have no problem with the decision. And God damn it, Nick! Dominic that, Reyes I, is not I'm, light heavyweight champion. I'm more interested in talking about who is the podcast champion right now. And oh my actually my head and neck kind of hurt cuz this crown is heavy. <laughs> it's hang on. Oh jeez, this thing I got to get used to it. I got to I got to work out my shoulders more. Um do some neck curls cuz this thing's sol- solid. Do you think it has something to do with the fact that your head is so big right now? Do you think it's putting all that much pressure? <laughs> Uh, Nikolai, congratulations, buddy. Solid gold. I was watching the fights go on last week, and I'm like, it's a loss for Stan, a loss for Stan, a loss for Stan. Man, you were, <laughs> you lost you lost everything up until the last two fights. It hadn't happened, but man, it was so enjoyable. I'm sure, I'm sure it was enjoyable for, for you to experience that. Yeah, there were a lot of decisions that were pretty bad on this card, and, and, and that was a factor. Another factor was... Morono got starched in the first round. Who the heck expected that? Uh, John Jones came through for me. Adams got starched in the first round. Um, so yeah, there, there were there there was it was kind of an odd card. I think some of those decisions uh, affected your picks as well. Actually, positively, well, you picked both, people. both. Yeah, um, yeah, but I also picked Andrea Lee, who got jobbed maybe the hardest oh, yeah, on the whole on the whole card. And I think that an Andre Yule score of thirty twenty seven was insane. But an Andre a score for Andre Yule in Andre Yule's favor of twenty nine twenty eight is not unfathomable. It's not unfathomable. I just didn't think he deserved the decision. Uh, yeah, it was, That's it was fair. Kind, of a, That's fair. kind of an odd card, specifically with the judging. John Jones takes that win. Once again, a second win in a row, Nick, where a lot of people think that he deserved to lose the fight. A third fight in a row after which John Jones is getting booed by the fans in the and, in attendance. And I thought it was one of his best I thought it was one of his best performances as a fighter. I I thought here's here's what John Jones proved. He has more and I love Dominic Reyes and I was hoping Reyes was going to win even though you and I both picked Jones marginally. John Jones, an important word here, his composure in that fight was amazing. He he never lost his cool. He reserved his energy. He is I don't like the guy personally. Nobody does. He is such a smart and economical fighter um that he maintained composure and control and yeah there were some wild moments and he took some big shots and he rolled with every single one of them and he definitely won the fourth and fifth and it's it's in an argument can be made that the second or third um you know were his more likely i think the third than the second maybe not everybody would agree with that but the excitement of watching reyes um strike so well and fight so confidently um, and so mostly intelligently through the first three, though he did 
I do think he went out a little too hard. He was clearly gassed by, you know, the early part of the third round. Um, Jones fought like a champion. He fought like a champion, and he defended his turf and his title. And frankly, I think in a rematch that Jones Jones wins that rematch going away. I disagree respectfully, and it's not only because I have some disdain for John Jones. I mean, he's a great fighter, right? In that octagon, there's not a whole lot of negativity going his way for me, but I do think there's a major drop-off. John Jones is not the same man that he was several years ago. Either that or the rest of the division has essentially caught up. And I think it's that. I think guys, it's the latter. Bigger, stronger, more versatile guys. He, was, he came up and had all those victories against guys who fought in pride. Like he's fighting young, now, he's fighting same age or younger, big, strong guys who've been training everything forever and haven't taken that much damage over their careers. You get in there with a rampage, you get in there with a shogun. By the time John Jones was fighting those guys, they'd been through it all. Or he's fighting guys like Ryan Bader who were not, you know, weren't weren't complete packaged mixed martial artists. Now he's fighting. You know, he's, he's fighting younger, complete guys who are huge. Even those middleweight guys are, are bigger than, you know, I think bigger dudes than Rampage or Dan Henderson or Shogun. I want to see Shogun stand next to uh, Anthony Smith. Yeah, Anthony Smith is a tall guy. I think he could still make 185 if he needed to. But again, John Jones, I do think there's a drop-off. I really do. He's not nearly as creative. His boxing, which was improving at some point there for a little bit, it's gone back a couple of steps. His wrestling... He hasn't been an effective wrestler against a guy with decent even takedown defense in a long time, Nick. He ho-hummed his way again uh, in fights against Ovin St. Preux and Anthony Smith. These are two fighters that combined have 20 losses, Nick, when they fought him. Uh, and, and to this day, they've been smoked by several people, both of these guys. Um, he did perform well against Daniel Cormier. Uh, obviously, that was turned into a no contest because he popped for performance enhancers. Um, and he did do well against Alexander Gustafson, who was quite a bit past his prime and clearly with one foot out the door. But John Jones is not the same man. And I think we're past the time. He's just kicking Jones... way more than he should be. And he's not, yeah, he's not, he's not winning spectacular, he's not winning spectacular fights, but his, I just thought he showed championship composure, confidence, and intelligence and made a serious case against a really game and powerful challenger to have defended his crown. I don't think it was a. I don't think it was a, anywhere near a robbery. I think it was a very closely contested fight. I agree, it was a closely contested fight, but he deserved to lose that fight. Close or not, the great majority of the people watching that fight, including the president of the UFC, several announcers, the great majority of the people watching live, including me and you. I scored it three to yep. two, but I want to watch it again with no excitement. Uh, after it's very easy to get behind Reyes after that first round and be watching it like through through Reyes' lens, in which I was doing. You, we were all doing it. We were all hoping for the upset because Reyes was so great fighting with such such confidence and so fearlessly. My just my fear is that I think John Jones is one of the most intelligent uh, fighters and maybe the best with along with his team at, at Jackson Wink of putting together a game plan and now that they've seen and understand everything that Reyes does and has I I I Reyes shows up the same guy essentially in the second fight I think and John Jones I think comes with a completely different game plan based on the guy that he he, he saw in there what game plan does John Jones come in with oh that I'm not I'm not you know I'm not Greg Jackson I'm not I'm not acting out civil war Civil War battles on in ghost towns like I'm not a master strategist I just got to believe that they they went in there, they saw what happened, and they're going to come in with something else, and it will be really effective.
just because that's their history. That's what they do. Talk to me about John Jones and rematches of close fights. What has he done? How'd the Cormier rematch go? How'd the, Goose, the Gustafson Dominic rematch Reyes go? Dominic gained quite a bit of confidence in that fight. A lot of people thought that he deserved that fight. He genuinely believes that he deserved that fight. I think John Jones believes that Dominic Reyes deserved that fight. And you could tell. You know how? Because John Jones alluded to his takedowns that won him that fight. John Jones didn't get a single takedown in the first three rounds of that fight. So those takedowns clearly were not a factor there, right? What was he the got factors? Take, he got a takedown in the third round or the second round, didn't he? I don't think he did. If I if I remember correctly, it was in the fourth and fifth rounds that he was actually getting takedowns. And again, his takedowns were momentary. They were pop, popped right back up for sure. Yeah, but let which me, Dominic uh, Reyes is really really good here. at. But John Jones is John Jones is not the boxer that he used to be, and he's never really improved in that regard. Period. He has never been as good a wrestler as when as he was on his way up. These guys have improved their uh, wrestling uh, kind of intelligence, wrestling training. The thing about John Jones is that he does have a very high fight IQ. He kicks yes. very hard and he can keep kicking forever because he's been doing it for so very long. And I do think he has a pretty good strength and conditioning program. But let me ask you, how many of John Jones' training partners do you think are landing shots on him like Tiago Santos and Dominic Reyes was able to do? Probably nobody. I don't know, Probably but it blew me away person. how well he was able to eat those shots and not really look um, worse for the wear or stunned by them. His his evasion, uh, his defense, his elusive techniques were extremely impressive. Again, Reyes was really, really impressive in that fight. He was great. It's I'm just saying it was a close. It was a close fight. I'd like to watch it again without sound, um, and you know, make up and make up my mind. Yeah, and, and I, I welcome you to do that. Maybe we'll do a rewatch of the second, third, uh, second and third rounds, if only at one point in an upcoming episode. Although I think there are you're UFC. right. Fourth, fourth and fifth takedown. Fourth and fifth were the takedowns. He did not score any takedowns in one through three. Right, but what he did was he started to pressure forward somewhat effectively, semi land some kicks. Uh, but he was more busy in the last minute, minute and a half of that second and third round, and that's the argument that could be made for him. The problem is that he took head trauma. In the first half of those rounds, Tyson. Looking at the um, stat, looking at the stats, it's very hard to to just looking at the numbers. It's hard to score the fight for Jones. Uh, yeah, looking at the stats, but also again looking at the kind of damage that was dealt to him early on versus what he was able to accomplish, which is effective pressure in the latter parts of round two and three. Again, I can see an argument being made for John Jones winning the fight. Don't get me wrong, but I still think the wrong man walked away with the decision victory. And, and Jones I think, landed like, a much higher percentage of, of significant strikes, but he threw less. He landed 104 of 166, and Reyes landed uh, 116 of 259. That's uh, Reyes landed more. Uh, he Reyes landed more strikes, but but almost 20 percent lower percentage. Yeah, sure, and that's fine. But the the the, the busier man usually gets more credit for staying busy. Especially when judges can't True. tell what shots are being landed and what aren't. And the fact of the matter is, the challenger landed more strikes, period, 119 to 107. He landed more significant strikes, 116 to Jones's 104. Um, again, I don't disagree with you. It's Robbery is not the right term here. But I don't know. Like Robbery is a term, I think, that we use in extreme cases where one guy is just destroying the other guy the entire fight and then loses a decision. That's extremely, extremely, extremely rare, right? So maybe there's no robberies. There's almost no robberies in MMA. There's maybe three that I can think of off the top of my head in the history of the UFC. But this was, I thought, and many people thought, including you, I think, a decision that should have gone to Dominic Reyes. 
And I the scored judges, a, I scored it. I scored the first three rounds for Reyes watching live. Yes. Same here. Yeah, same here. And, and you know what? On the rewatch, like I hear you. Like you might want to rewatch it, and you might change your mind. But it is the impression that is formed usually on that first watch because the judges don't get to rewatch it and change their minds. Now, to be fair, on the rewatch, if a lot of people decide that Dominic Reyes did deserve it, then maybe the judges were more in tune and more in the moment and more focused than the rest of us were, and that's possible. That's a plausible uh, conclusion to come to. But still, I, I think the wrong guy walked away here. And I, I really do dispute the fact that John Jones is going to be dominant. John Jones wasn't dominant against a whole lot of guys in a long time now. Um, he, he did do well against Gustafsson. He landed a head kick against Daniel Cormier after being, having a very competitive first round, losing the second round, and then popping for performance-enhancing drugs. Right, That became a no contest. So his dominant wins in the past many years... Uh, since 2015, there's only one, and that's against Alexander Gustafsson. You don't think the Anthony gonna... Smith fight was dominant? It was one-sided, but there was not nearly enough damage against an opponent that had no interest in fighting. And he had top position. He had everything he could ask for in that fight, right? He could take him down at will. He could kick him at will. He could punch him even at times at will. But he still didn't really push the issue he really didn't go for that finish and look he didn't have to get the finish but at least the appearance of seeing that your opponent is vulnerable it would have been great to see him react he's not the same guy man and in a rematch now is it possible john jones is still freaking untouchable undefeated in mma outside of his last two fights of course but no i I think that dominic reyes is going to do quite well walking in there with confidence and here's another big factor dominic reyes has never been to the fifth round in the ufc he's never been past three nick and this was his first time on top of the fact that he was tired, <laughs> he, he was, but he pushed through it. He kept fighting. I mean, he pushed through it. He landed almost nothing. He got hit with seventy six percent of strikes in the fifth round. But he, you know, he fought. He fought to the end. But he was not. He was a non factor in four and five. He did. He did nothing. He landed. Him. He landed twenty one to Jones's twenty six strikes in the fifth. Now it's a clear Jones round. Don't get me wrong. But he still landed twenty one to Jones's twenty six. So he was still fairly busy. He still threw more than Jones in that round. He threw more than Jones in every single round of this fight. So it is understandable why he'd be tired, uh, considering he's never been five rounds, considering... He threw a lot of strikes, yep. Right, considering he's never been five rounds, considering he threw so very many strikes in this one, um, he, let me see, he attempted 263 strikes, which for a light heavyweight, Nick, that is up there. We're not talking about ground strikes, right, where you're not putting all of your body weight into it. It's not nearly as much effort. On his feet, he was throwing bombs. A lot of kicks, a lot of kicks. Yeah, and and all but four of his strikes were significant strike attempts, according to the the stats at UFCstats.com. So again, he, he had serious output. And for that reason, again, he deserved those three first three rounds. I think there's somewhat of an argument that could be made about round four and or probably round four more than anything. And I can certainly see the argument to be made for Jones in round three, where he took over with about two minutes left of that round. Whereas in round two, I thought he took over a little bit more than a minute remaining. Um, Four to one, look, I can... I'm open-minded. The argument could be made. It's not like two and three were a shutout for Dominic Reyes, but... I, I definitely think the wrong man walked away with the decision win here. This is the second time that John Jones is walking away. Really should be thanking his lucky stars because those those decisions, both of them, against Thiago Santos and Dominic Reyes could have gone the other way. And mind you, Santos was a meddling middleweight who was fighting the majority of that fight on one leg. Dominic Reyes has never been five rounds, right? These are guys who are really putting their game together, but they're not necessarily easy to finish. 
and they have the right kind of offensive tools to put Jones in trouble. I also think the southpaw thing was a big factor there as well. Jones really relies on a switching switch fighting, and Reyes was doing a good job of eating up John Jones's lead leg when he was in southpaw. So Jones had no choice but to stay in orthodox. And in orthodox, I'd say his kicks are a little bit less effective. And really, he only throws with his left hand for the most part. He's never truly worked out that right hand, which could be a great weapon for a guy with his reach. But again, that just goes back to the point. He hasn't really improved his boxing. His wrestling is not nearly as good as it used to be. I think the argument can be made that John Jones has not improved by a very notable margin technique-wise in many years. And I think it's because uh, the Jackson Wink gym is a fraction of what it used to be. Even though they have a team around him, I don't think he's improving at all. Yeah, I think that's I think that's all fair. Um, the rest of the card, not I mean, not a ton to talk about besides the wacky decisions. Um, Caitlin Chukagian fought. Um, you know, people say, "Oh, she was game," and she did what you know. She showed up, and I thought she had the worst possible game plan imaginable. I thought she needed to stay much further on the outside, much more lateral movement and try to point fight Shevchenko. She seems to do that in all of her other fights. I don't know why she was in the pocket um, with, uh, you know, with a striker like that. But it uh, it got pretty ugly pretty quickly. What did you think? Yeah, it really did. Uh, Shevchenko was a master counter striker. She, she counters with takedowns as well. She counters with kicks. If you give her something to counter... She will piece you up, and I think that Jessica I and Caitlin Chukagian learned that over the last few months, whereas Liz Carmouche, who stayed as far away from her as possible the entire fight, knowing that in all, in all likelihood, Valentina's not going to press the issue if you're not engaging her. And that's kind of how that fight played out. That's why there were a total of 60 strikes landed in it. Caitlin Chukagian, you're right. She was much more aggressive than I think her reputation suggests. And part of the reason for that is because she's actually been improving, getting more comfortable in the pocket. In fights against Joanne Calderwood and Jennifer Maya, she wasn't throwing her punches and kicks at air about a foot in front of her opponent. She was actually staying in the pocket on the counter and landing some shots in between moments of lateral movement. And it, were, it was effective against Calderwood and Maya, who are honestly really good you know, stand-up fighters, really good kickboxers. Valentina Shevchenko, you really don't want to stand up in that in that pocket, as you alluded to. She gave up that takedown at will. Those counter kicks were landing clean, and it just literally Valentina Shevchenko made her look like an amateur. Well, she, well it's because she was fearless. She had she had zero fear. She knew yeah. that Chuk- she knows she knows that Chukagian isn't known for firepower. Shevchenko knows what her chin can withhold, and she was just she was just standing there cocking the hammer and ready to ready to counter she was had no concerns at all yeah it's interesting with valentina if if you're not aggressive against her it's going to be a boring tepid fight if you're aggressive you're going to give her <laughs> you're gonna get your win. ass kicked yeah yeah and even amanda nunez was very very cautious and very careful with her for good reason she walked away with a very, you know a very close split decision yep. when I, I think either of these two girls could make the argument and i think that they're pound for pound the best fighter period on the planet, but Shevchenko has better technique than Amanda Nunes, and Shevchenko's the smaller girl, and she has less natural power. And considering all of that, it was an extremely close split decision that they had uh, back in 2017. Yeah, Valentino Shevchenko is super high level. Um, I Every time I kind of really get into her and, and criticize her for how boring she fights, 
She had that Jessica Fai fight shortly after and got a head kick knockout. And then Liz Carmusha was like, you know what, Valentina's really coming to her home. She should be able to smoke her. And she didn't. She barely tried. In this case, she had the counter opportunities and she was able to beat up Shuke again. And I was glad to see it. She has the skill to do this, Nick, to almost anybody on the planet. I might pick her against Cyborg at this point. I think she's that good. But unfortunately, you really have to be aggressive against her in order to get her to get out of her shell and to open up and throw. Yeah, I mean, we've also mostly seen her at, you know, we've seen her in two weight classes, and we've seen Nunez completely destroy three, but I think Nunez's accomplishment is still greater. Um, I'm sorry, we've seen Nunez across, well, across two weight classes, but she's defeated the, the, um, the wait a minute. I, wait, 145, 135, 125, yeah. Um, but the thing about Nunez's accomplishment is that 125 is still nascent. The, they're, For sure. That's, you know, I it's agree. still a weak division. As much as I love a lot of the, the fighters in there, and they're, they're great to watch, when, when Nunez took over at, at UFC 200 by um, just overpowering uh, Misha Tate... That that division has been, you know, was filled with killers, and Nunez has cleaned them all out, cleaned them all out, and in the and for you know for shits and giggles, beat the one twenty five champion twice, and has beat the one forty five well, champion. It was it was at thirty at one thirty five. It was on, it, yes, it was at one thirty five, but she still beat the woman that yeah. is champ. Like she didn't go down, but the woman that's on top of one twenty five, Nunez beat twice, and she went up and took the one forty five. Uh, yeah, champ true. on two. I just think her. I just think her accomplishment, um, and her her accomplishments greater, and her competition's been fiercer. I I I do have to agree with you there. It's just I think technique wise, yes, Shevchenko is notably better than Amanda Nunes. If yep. Shevchenko had some of the natural reach and power that Nunes has with those hands, yep. man, would she be a frightening human? And she's scary as is, but she would be an absolute just trailblazer in that women's division yeah especially with her look and the fact that she has an interesting personality or interesting enough anyway uh so yeah just a dominant win over her she made caitlin shukagian look like an amateur you know we've alluded to this before the fact that 125 pound women's division is getting figured out it's going to take another probably six to eight months before a lot of the top 10 are where they should be in the meantime we have a bunch of rejects from different divisions and by rejects i don't mean that they were bad fighters they just weren't anywhere close to the top of 135 or 115 who are in this division now who are you know filling up that top 10 space because they're the known I agree commodity. and there's listen I love as you know like I, lo- I love Andrea Lee Roxy's one of my favorite fighters I love Jojo Calderwood but the fact of the matter is they had a tough a tough season built around building 125 and one of the one of the finalists is the 135er and the other ones fought exactly once and lost uh, which is Nico Montana lost to Juliana Pena and uh you know, and she's supposed to be on this card against, uh, uh, what's her name, against uh, Macy Chason and uh, has, uh, and fell off the card. Again, so, you know, she's fallen out of, fallen out of fights against now. Uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. Chason, she fell out of fight, off a fight against, I think, Sarah McMahon, and she fell out of a fight against Shevchenko. So we're in this interesting situation, Nick. This might be a good news, bad news thing for you. For me. As far as... Yeah, as far as potential opponents for Valentina Shevchenko, right? 
We've got Jessica I, number one contender. I still, you know, I'm not entirely sure why. She's already beaten her, destroyed her. Caitlin Shukagian, she just ran through her. Joanne Calderwood is, you know, really only one win deep and recently has the loss to Caitlin, who just got smoked by her. We've got Jennifer Maya, who's been kind of on and off, and she might be a contender. But Roxanne Matafari, Nick, is coming off of a big win. She's got a bit of a streak going now. And the good news is that she might very well, if Jennifer Maya doesn't make the cut, she might very well end up uh, challenging Valentina Shevchenko next. The bad news is that she's going to have to fight Valentina Shevchenko next. I don't, yeah, I don't think she'll get the shot next. I think that, here's, I think, uh, I think this will fight Lauren Murphy next, and if she beats Lauren Murphy, um, she may get the shot. I think that, um, I think JoJo will get the next, will get the next shot, and I suspect it'll be on a European card. Um, you got you the, think the, on a one-fight winning streak, they'll give it to Joe. Well, Roxy's, Roxy's, on, Roxy's on a one-fight winning streak. She, is she? I, yeah, she lost, oh, um, right. Jennifer she lost to Jennifer Maya, who, who missed weight. Remember, Roxy's only lost to fighters who have missed weight, um, I believe, since she came back to the UFC. But still, I think, listen, I think she was great. It's And it was a major upset over Macy Barber. But it was also, you know, it's a Sage Northcutt situation. Like... It was very hard to tell where Macy Barber was. What's her experience level? Where's her poise? What's going to happen if she gets hurt in the cage? Like, Roxanne drilled her. Her striking looked good, and she steamrolled her and looked fantastic. But Macy Barber was not a proven quantity. She was an, she was an up-and-comer. Like, if if Roxy, you know, takes out Jessica I or takes out Lauren Murphy, then I think give her Shevchenko. Like, she's earned, she's earned the shot by then. I don't think Barber is enough of a... Um, enough of a signature win, despite uh, the dominance of that performance. I think she's one. I think she's one, one win away. And I think that JoJo's fight against Andrea Lee um, show like showed that she'll, she'll get in there and we'll have a, we'll have a, a pretty exciting kickboxing match. JoJo's a very high level kickboxer. I think uh, you know. I'd, I think I think she's I think she's ready. She's as ready as she's going to be. She has no, you know, she has no one else to beat. I don't think. I don't think we need to see JoJo. Uh, did JoJo already fight Jessica? I. I think she. I don't think they fought. No. Um, yeah, I would give Calderwood the next shot, and I would I would put it in a European card as a main event. Yeah, I I think like the way you're putting it, you're probably right. It's just Calderwood's three and three in her last six, one and one in her last two, and that one win over Andrea Lee was a super close fight that. Look at all. Look at all those fighters. Look at one. There's nobody yeah. with a. There's nobody with Jennifer a better Maya. run at 125, except maybe Maya, but she can't make weight. Right. I mean, yeah, you're right. She didn't make weight in her last fight. That's a very good point, and that probably precludes her from being the one. I do feel like Matafari's got a following, and even though she you're does. right that her win over Macy Barber isn't exactly the highest level ranked opponent, but it's a name opponent, and that usually means more to the UFC. On top of the fact that, let's face it, Matafari is a beloved fighter for the hardcore fans. In MMA, whereas JoJo's actually well liked as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's not likely going to be Maya because of the weightness, and it's going to be one of these two girls. I think maybe Lauren Murphy may have saved Matafari from that matchup by calling her out. The other thing to consider is that, not to say that Roxy doesn't deserve a title shot, but she had a Roxy fought for the 125 title. She lost to Nico Montana, like. Um, so she's ha- she had a shot at the gold. So knowing that they're training partners. And that they wouldn't fight each other, and that they're very close, and and having a sense from our, our casual interactions, you know, sponsoring her in Invicta and just following her online. My belief is that Roxy would 
promote and, and uh, campaign for JoJo to get that title shot um, over over herself, knowing that she you know that she had a shot not too long ago, and that she's one win away from another one. That would be my guess. Yeah. Plus, that way, Roxy wouldn't have to fight Valentina Shevchenko. Well, not right away, but I mean, the other thing is, if JoJo beats Valentina, Roxy's not going to fight JoJo. So, you know, JoJo it, is not beating Valentina, sir. Anything can happen, man. Remember, if if Chael Sonnen had survived for another five seconds, he'd have a win over John Jones. John Jones has slipped out of slipperier situations than that, but I will say, John Jones in the history of his career has had issues against two types of fighters: either tall guys or southpaws. And Dominic Reyes is both of those things. That's another thing that I've noticed in this situation. Leonardo Machida gave him a lot of trouble in the first round of their fight years ago. Vitor Belfort gave him trouble, granted, on the ground. And Dominic Reyes being a tall southpaw, uh, the other tall guy being Ovin St. Peru and, and uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Anthony Smith. These are like tall guys who John Jones just wasn't confident really putting it on them. And I think that might be a factor in the style matchup. I mean, everybody's styles has some openings, and John Jones' style, despite his fight IQ, certainly has the openings for a heavy puncher who has good takedown defense, or at least the ability to get back up quickly. So it's just something else I kind of noticed about the right. main event. That's uh, okay. We can we can case. rewind, go back to talking about the main event. Let's zip through the rest of let's zip through the rest of UFC 247 before we get to our picks. Um, uh, Justin Taffa, undersized heavyweight, but he's got that. You know, we knew, I, I had talked about this. Like, I didn't go up and pick Taff. It was your pick, and you picked Adams. But I talked about if Mark Hunt takes you under <laughs> under his wing, chances are you can, you know, you can you can take a shot and you can throw. And Juan Adams, uh, you know, has, has proven his, his composure and chin are not are not terrific, despite his enormous size. Uh, Dan Inga did exactly what I thought he was going to do. He had a tough second round where he got badly uh, out-wrestled. But he's got some thunder in his hands, and he can go. And Merced Bektik just, you know, decided to uh, that he should kickbox more than he should have. And uh, Iga like lit him up, caught him with some stuff, and took that third round. So I uh, I predicted that fight, that win, which uh, you didn't agree with. So ha. Um, <laughs> Derek Lewis, Taylor Retifi didn't go exactly like we thought, but the outcome was the same. Um, uh, Trevor Giles. Just eked one out against Kraus, fighting on like you know a couple hours notice. Um, Andrea Lee, I think ever I think most people agree, and MMA decisions thinks that she got jobbed against Lauren Murphy. Uh, it was a close fight. It's not it like was competitive. It's nothing to say bad about Murphy. It's just like that's the second split decision Lee's lost in two fights. Yeah, that could have gone um, I you know I I was cer- I was certainly rooting for JoJo in that last one, but like I Lee deserved to win at least one of those, if not both of those fights. So it's a bummer for her. Um, I hope yeah. she. Get, I hope she gets a, a good one uh, in her next bout. Uh, why don't you tell us what happened to Alex Morano? Man, Alex Morano got caught early. Chaos Williams, his opponent here, like he's made plied his trade, basically taking people down with terrible wrestling, and just being more athletic and a little bit stronger. With terrible technique standing up. He didn't have the best technique here. If you kind of like really pay attention to how he threw his right hand and his left hook. I mean, the technique was pretty mediocre here, but the guy's athletic, and apparently he has heavy enough hands 
to catch Alex Morona cold, and he was able to get him out of there in 27 seconds. I think Morona was probably better than him in every regard. But, man, when you get hit by a heavy-handed guy, it can happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mario Batista uh, upset our uh, – our. actually, I think you, you picked Batista, and that one should be for you really well. A really competitive fight that ended up seeing Mario Batista line a flying knee and then finish him on the ground. Really good stuff by Batista, who looked more technical and more composed, I think, than he did in his last UFC win. Journey Newsom, who I picked and disagreed with you. Yeah, uh, I picked Pilarty. <laughs> yeah, Pilarty looked good it. for the first until he didn't. <laughs> I I mean it was it was thirty eight seconds. He, I know he, he looked great. Really get he looked great for look twenty five seconds. <laughs> I, I guess I actually thought Journey Newsom was doing just fine. Um, and, and he just landed that right hand, which like I noticed watching tape on him before his UFC debut, man, the guy has a heavy, serious right hand, good technique and good speed on it. And considering he had a fairly competitive fight with the much higher ranked Ricardo, Ricardo Ramos in his last bout, I did believe in him against Domingo Pilarte, who is turning out, unfortunately for him to be a little bit more of a dud than a prospect early in his UFC career, but he's got some Why size. Why didn't you say dud or stud, man? You're supposed to rhyme. We're on that mic, dude. We're on that. We're on that microphone. We're supposed to be, you know, rhapsodic. We're supposed to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna work on it. You know what, Nick? We are freestyling to end this episode. You and me, brother. I don't think I can freestyle tonight. Well, that's exactly why I'm challenging you. I don't think I can either. But Uh, I'm hoping you'll go first and then just give up. It's way too tired. But just in general, (laughs) just you know, just try to like work on your flow a little bit. Come on. I will. I will. I'll work on it. Andre, Uh, you. Yeah, he picked up that win that I think a lot of people disagreed with over Jonathan Martinez, <laughs> yeah. who hurt him oh, in two of those fights, and then I mean, kind of controlled the last round. Very exciting, yeah. very exciting fight. Um, the 30-27 Ewell is one of the worst cards I've ever heard in my life. Um, but I had picked him. It was close. I had Martinez winning the fight, um, uh, you know, 29-28. But I thought that it was close, but I did not expect Ewell to get the split. Yeah, same here. Yusuf Zalalnik, that guy looked fucking We called that insane. one. We, we screwed that up, huh? Yeah, man. I think a lot of people picked Austin Lingo because of his power, because of his camp. But dude, Yusuf is like so smooth out there. His footwork, his countering, his knees, his kicks, everything is fast. Everything is snapping. He looked absolutely spectacular. I think he got takedowns when he wanted to as well. This kid is probably someone to seriously watch. He, I think a big part of the reason why a lot of pips people picked against him is because he lost those two pretty competitive close decisions to Matt Jones and Jose Mariscal in LFA. And then he picked up just the one win before his UFC debut. So a lot of people were down on Yusuf, but man, he looked incredible. I am looking forward to seeing him back, and I hope the UFC treats him like a proper prospect. That'll do it for this card, Nikolai. A win for you. And I do want to quickly say before we go to our break, Nick, that I now at this moment, despite the fact that you claim you're wearing the crown and are coming off of a win, I have twice as many event wins than you do. And we're off to commercial. What? This is for the dozens and dozens of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast listeners. Knowing that you're a bunch of social media influencers, mavens, and mentors, I'd like to ask you to use your prestige to let people know about the podcast. We put a lot of work and research into this series, and we'd love to grow our listenership and expose more people to it. If you know someone who's into MMA but has not given us a listen, give them a heads up. I mean, who doesn't want to hear Nick and I taking turns boasting about the prior week's results, am I right?
And we are back to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nikolai, it's your and my turn to make our official picks for this weekend's UFC on ESPN Plus, etc., etc., etc. 25, Anderson versus Blakovich 2. That's right. And thank you for filling that in for me. I wasn't going to get into the numbers, goddammit. From Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Sorry, I didn't realize I was interrupting your intro there. Um, so yeah, it's it's an in the Santa Ana Star Center. Oh, yeah, is this gonna last throughout the segment? <laughs> Three about thirteen thousand. Sorry, all right, all right, go ahead. All right, your pick. What's your pick? So, so, so Nick, um, we are going through a draft pick system. As uh, many of you know, maybe we have some new listeners. We each take turns picking fighters on the card until we run out of fighters to pick. Whoever at the end of Saturday night ends up with the most winning fighters on their pick list ends up picking up the victory for that week. Uh, we are two and one, Nick, in my favor so far for this year. And for my first pick, I'm naturally going to pick the biggest favorite on the card because I believe that she should be the biggest favorite on the card. I'm taking Macy Shazon over Shayna Young. Damn it, uh, Shayna Young is yeah, she, she's coming from Invicta, Nick, and I'm and I'm glad to hear you uh, make that reaction. Shayna is coming off of Invicta where, you know, she's kind of, I think, something like 2-2 two and two in that promotion. And granted, against pretty decent competition for Invicta as far as that goes. A weight but, class down. Yeah, that's right. A weight class down against, like, normal-sized humans. And Macy Shazan is freaking giant. Yeah. Uh, she, she really is. Macy's a finisher on the ground, man. I know she looked uh, very human in her last fight, and that was, I think, her prospect loss. And that's a loss that you want to take before you get to that title against Lena Landsberg. And Lena, unfortunately, lost after that, so that doesn't make Macy look too awesome. But I expect her to basically manhandle the Shanimal, Shayna Young, this weekend. Shayna gives up takedowns. She's very hittable on the feet. I expect that Macy Shazan is going to pick up a resounding first-round win here. What do you think, buddy? I, yeah, I completely agree. That was going to be my first pick, so I'm, uh, I'm a little bit upset with you um, for choosing it. And I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to pick something that I'm sure is not your, your next pick. But it's something I feel confident in, and I'm going to pick against a fighter that I like. I'm going to pick Nathaniel Wood over John Dodson. I think that's a good pick. I love John Dodson. He has not looked good the last couple of years. He looked pretty chubby his last time out. Um, he's still powerful. He's not slow, but he's just... He lost that step that made him a magician, and Nathaniel Wood is up and coming and has looked fantastic. Um, right now, I think John Dodson is firmly in gatekeeper territory. And I think that uh, I think Nathaniel Wood beats him up for three rounds. Are you fat shaming John Dotson? I'm just saying he, he didn't. He did not look fit in his last his last couple of bouts. I actually think yeah, he looked pretty old in his last fight, and that was mostly because of his hair. It just like gave away the recede and just made him made him look really ancient. Like he was like chubby, chubby too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into the fat shaming, Nick. It's just not the type of guy. I mean, he was I fighting. Am. He's fighting Peter Yan and Jimmy Rivera, so maybe. You know, but he's he's you know he's ugh. when I look at uh, when I look at his last four years of fighting, right? He is um, he's three and four with wins over Manny Gambarian, who's from the previous generation, Eddie Wineland, who's kind of from the previous generation, and a split decision over Pedro Pedro Munoz, which is a good victory. And he's lost to Lineker, Marais, uh, Rivera, and Jan. Like. He's in there with hitters. Before that, he lost this to, you know... This is the cream of the crop. That it's, it is absolutely the cream of the crop. But I got... I just... I think... I think uh, I think Nathaniel Wood's going to be ready for him. 
I think you're dealing with a twenty a twenty six year old who's on the way up. I, I tend to think you're right in this matchup. Now I do see a small chance for Dotson to pick up the win here, despite his age, despite the wear on his body. Guy's still extremely fast, especially at bantamweight at one thirty five. Uh, Nathaniel Wood has in the past been hurt a couple of times in his career, even though he's looked really good in his last many bouts. So there's always a chance that Dotson lands that bomb. And he hurts some of the best guys in the world. He hurts them if only dazes them for a moment before they go on to continue to win the decision. And he's the guy that's very difficult to finish, despite the fact that Nathaniel Wood is a really good finisher. Very difficult to finish. Yeah, I think in many ways Nathaniel Wood, in some ways Nathaniel Wood is similar to Dotson's last opponent and Peter Jan. Uh, except Nathaniel is more of a finisher on the ground and Jan is more of a finisher standing and also the fact that Jan has a better chin. But he's got three-inch reach and height advantage, Nathaniel Wood does. So I expect him to coast to a decision here with maybe Dotson having a moment or two. It's also uh, the factor here is that Dotson really doesn't throw a whole lot. His activity is low, and he's going to need more activity against the pressure of Nathaniel Wood, who will give him opportunities to counter. But I expect Wood will be ready for Dotson's bombs on the way back. I just don't think Dotson has improved much from his first fight against Demetrius Johnson, and that's illustrated by the fact that Johnson basically dominated him in the rematch. So I like Wood here to make Dotson look more and more like a gatekeeper. To the stars, granted. Uh, TLD, why don't you just be like TLDR, what Nick said? TLDR. Uh, Nick, I am not hip like uh, hip enough to Too read long, exactly didn't read. Means. Too long, didn't, Too long, didn't read. Long. You know what? You're old. All right, I'm... You know, make your pick. Make your goddamn pick. All right, but don't you have like seven years on me? Is that it? I'll be 44 in two weeks. Don't you have like nine years on me, Nick? Fuck you. <laughs> so my first pick, Nick, and uh, Nathaniel Wood was going to be my fourth pick, so he wasn't far off on my list. Um, or actually, maybe my third pick. I'm going to pick Nick uh, Tim Means over Daniel Rodriguez. Yeah, good pick. Um, yeah, Daniel Rodriguez is taking this fight on something like nine days notice after failing to get a UFC contract on the Contender Series. Had kind of a ho-hum decision win over another very tall, lanky striker at 170. So, you know, it's not like he doesn't have experience against guys this size. But I do like Tim Dirty Bird Means for his finishing prowess on the feet and otherwise. It seems like Rodriguez is affiliated somewhat with the BMF Ranch and some of those guys in Albuquerque. So maybe he put some time in at Elevation in Albuquerque. But actually he couldn't have. I guess since he took the fight on short notice. Uh, 19 days notice according to my research. Tim Dirty Bird Means he trains at Elevation. He trains in Albuquerque. And I think uh, that is going to give him even more of an advantage than just the fact that he was expecting this fight for 39 days. I like Tim Means to get him. Daniel hasn't really been finished yet, so there's a chance he survives the decision. But I like Tim Means uh, to to get him here in this fight and, and look pretty good doing it. He's going to be the faster man who, you know, Rodriguez looks good from up top, but I don't expect him to get there much or stay there for long. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, listen, next, oh man, there's so many interesting fights here um, that are just weird. There's a lot of weird fights. I'm going to pick Mirab Davalishvili. Um, the Longo Sara fighter uh, to beat the the effective good fighter Casey Kenny. Uh, I just think Marab is is um, going to be able to out grapple Kenny, which you might not agree with. I still think Ray Borg should have gotten the win um, over Kenny in his fight, and I I have a lot of faith in in Marab. I think he's been pretty uh, pretty darn good so far. 
Um, Odds-wise, he's favored, but not by a ton. Yeah, I actually went back and forth on this one. Initially picked Marab, switched to Kenny. Picked Marab again, switched to Kenny. It's a tough one for me to make a decision on. Fact of the matter is that Casey Kenny is 13-1, and and he's looked really good in the UFC thus far. I think you're right that he didn't really deserve the decision against Ray Borg, who's a really high-level fighter, but he took that fight on like six days' notice. And he kind of dominated that first round before Ray Borg's conditioning advantage took over as the fight wore on. Now, I, I do think that the one factor here will be elevation. Neither of these guys really train at elevation with uh, Casey Kenny from Arizona and Marab Devashvili training on Long Island. And I think Casey Kenny's better, more technical, faster standing up. And I think that Marab Devashvili has given up takedowns in his UFC career, and that might be a place where Kenny can take over. So as of this moment, I'm giving the ever so slightest edge to Kenny, but I keep going back and forth on this one. I just think Kenny's more technical everywhere, and it's not like Marab is good at holding guys down. He's excellent at getting them down, but Casey Kenny was really good in those matchups, uh, scrambling with Ray Borg, who's an excellent top position grappler, and also... Uh, Manny Bermudez, who was like literally a couple of weight divisions up, like Casey Kenny could be fighting at 125. Bermudez, uh, you know, had to right, I remember. continue at 145. So there was a big size dis- uh, disparity there, and you could see it. And he looked good, man, for the first two thirds of that fight at least. So I'm giving the slightest edge to Casey Kenny, but I wouldn't be surprised if Marab explodes his way to 28 takedowns and picks up a decision here. Um, I, this was actually way further down my list just because I was so unsure about this pick, so I'm glad you made it early. Um, my next pick, Nick, uh, this fighter is not very reliable, but he's fighting a fighter that's even less reliable and has all the weaknesses for Devin Clark to take over. So I'm taking Devin Clark to beat Daquan Townsend, who just fought a couple of weeks ago, lost a decision to a pretty good prospect at 185. He's coming up to 205 now on something like nine days' notice to face uh, off with Devin Clark, who's going to have the wrestling advantage. Even though he doesn't have a great chin, he's going to be able to take Daquan down every time he wants to. So I expect Devin Clark to do his thing here. What do you think? Why do you think – same, but why do you think Daquan Townsend's taking this fight? I think he – like to make the money more than anything else, like he's not exactly a guy that's ever going to be championship material. Might as well make some dough. Maybe the UFC offered him a little bit of a bonus. I mean that last fight, he mostly it. just he mostly just got put, held up against the fence, right? Yeah, it's not like he took a lot of damage, right? And the fact that he's coming off of a training camp, presumably he's not in bad shape. He doesn't have to worry about making weight here. And he's fighting somebody who has a pretty bad chin. So maybe Townsend likes his chances at scoring a big shot here at some point. I just feel like Devin Clark is experienced and skilled enough at this point to avoid that. But let's face it, Devin Clark is alternating wins and losses for the majority of his UFC career. In fact, for just about all of his UFC career. And he's coming off a loss to Ryan Spann, which means he should be able to beat his next mediocre opponent. UFC's pretty inconsistent in the matchups they give him, and his record reflects that. Um, all right, my next pick, let's get really wacky here. I'm going to pick Diego, Diego Sanchez over Michelle Pejea. Um, I think Pejea, I, I don't, I think, here's what I think. Even if Pejea flips around and does some weird-ass shit on Diego Sanchez and lands big, you got to do, Diego Sanchez doesn't go down from one fancy shot. Um, and eventually he's just going to get pissed. He's going to pick up Michelle Pejea and he's going to dump him on his head. That's it. <laughs> I think I think this is this is going to be like watching watching one fighter aggravate another until the other fighter just explodes and destroys him. Yeah, each of these guys have the strength 
where the other guy's weak. And it, again, it goes both ways. Diego Sanchez has been knocked down in the first round in a couple of his recent bouts, and Ferreira has the exact kind of explosiveness and knockout power to pull that off. I guess. Uh, I guess. Maybe. Ferreira has uh, has a weakness as a fight gets deep, as you know, guys are able to take him down. He's also just dumb. He's dumb as fuck. <laughs> that's for sure. And again, Diego Sanchez has those skills. He has the intensity, the ferocity to take a guy down and pound him out there. The one, the I think the major thing that kind of like again, if Diego Sanchez survives the first round, he's going to win this fight. Is what I'm thinking, especially at five thousand feet elevation in Rio Rancho, Nick. Rio Rancho, New Mexico. I think that if Diego Sanchez makes it to the first round, and thank you for continuing that announcement stuff. Not only does Michelle Pereira get tired in a, at at sea level, Nick, <laughs> which by the way our <laughs> podcast was named after, pun intended, motherfuckers, but. This is going to be at 5,000 feet elevation, Nick, and Diego Sanchez is used to fighting at that height. So I think Diego can do some things to him if he's in the right mindset and if he doesn't take an exorbitant amount of damage early in that first round. Like he's training with some ho-dunk team in Albuquerque. He's done with Greg Jackson's. Uh, Like I think it might be better for him mentally, but I wonder how good of a team this is like. Just looking at their staff, it doesn't seem like there's any MMA experts there. I wonder if he has any solid training partners to train with. I'm hoping maybe he's making his way out to the BMF ranch once in a while, get some training then there. So that's a bit of a concern for me. But the elevation is what tips this fight in favor of Diego Sanchez in my mind. But again, Michelle Pereira could very well just blast him in the first few moments of the fight and call it a day. My next pick is, um, I don't normally like picking untested UFC fighters, but there's a bunch of super pickup fights on this card, and I'm trying to avoid those early. I'm going to go with Brock Weaver to beat Kazula Vargas. Kazula is super explosive on the feet, but what he showed in his UFC debut is that if you want to take him down, you can, and he probably won't get up anytime soon, and he probably is not a submission danger. He's probably not going to turn you over. Brock Weaver is just a pressure stand-up fighter, mostly boxing-based, but he takes guys down and he pounds them and he and he suffocates them and he chokes them. And I think that Vargas will be susceptible to at least that part of his game. Vargas is explosive and he can line a head kick out of nowhere. But I like Brock Var- Weaver who, by the way, is pretty charismatic and in this weird kind of like, like a, I don't know, he's like from Alabama or something. He he has an accent. He's, he's Native American at the same time. Has a serious chip on his shoulder. He's kind of fun to listen to, fun to watch. Uh, I like him, and I hope that he can make a pretty interesting debut here. Looking forward to watching his career develop. I don't think he'll ever be a top, top guy, but he could be a mainstay in the UFC for some entertaining fights and interviews. Yeah, I got the same there. It's a good pick. I was going to say that till way later, but that's a good, good, good pick. Um, I'm going to go with uh, – this is a weird, weird fight, but I'm going to go with Yancy Medeiros over Orlando Venata. Um, this is a fight between between two guys who find really really creative ways to lose. Um, yeah, and I just think, I mean, Medeiros is bigger, is you know, is is kind of like bigger and stronger, and lately probably more active when he's in the cage. I I don't know. This is a this is a weird ass fight. I just I think uh, I could see Medeiros landing something. Um, I don't think Venata is going to be able to you know, wrestle him or submit him. And I just think Medeiros is going to be, isn't he going to, this is a guy that fought at middleweight, right? Like, isn't he just going to look way, way bigger than Lando Venata? I think he fought at 170, but I don't think he's got any middleweight fights unless he took something last minute. But yeah, he's coming back down at lightweight for this one, to your point. And he's going to have a significant height and reach advantage in this matchup. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to look that up. I think he fought at middleweight. I, I wouldn't be terribly shocked. Honestly, he's 
He's 5'10". It's it's not out of the realm of possibility. According to the stats I'm looking at, Nick, he's got no, a one-inch. Yeah, uh, he's got a one-inch height advantage, Nick, and he's got a four and a half-inch reach advantage, which is significant here. The problem is, and I was ready to pick Medeiros when I walked into watching tape on this fight, and I know that Yancy Medeiros is a pressure fighter and he's relentless, like you can beat him up early and he's just going to out-pressure you eventually and get to you uh, and pick up that decision based on his work in the latter half of the fight. And Lando, Lando Venata has been susceptible to that sort of thing. But it's usually by faster, more explosive fighters. Lando Venata is going to be significantly faster here. And... On top of the speed advantage that he's going to have, he's used to training in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where the, a good portion of their training is at elevation. This is not far from home for him. So he, that might kind of mitigate that conditioning advantage that Yancy Medeiros otherwise would have. Doesn't doesn't Yancy Medeiros fight on top of volcanoes and shit? That's um, elevation. I, I mean, I know that he trains in Hawaii and sometimes on the West Coast in California, but I just looking up his gym, it's not at elevation. It's it's It's... You know, pretty uh, pretty much sea level as our podcast is. So, I don't sea level. I'm sure he does some pads occasionally, but it's a safe bet that Lando is going to be more acclimated to that part of the that part of the country. Um, and here's the biggest factor to me that I noticed is that Yancy Madero throws his one two, and that's his kind of biggest weapon standing up. I think throws his one two, and then he just hangs his head forward and is ready for the counter if you're willing to throw one. And Lando Venata is very good about countering his opponent's straight shots, especially if his opponents stick around for it. Now, he lost that fight decisively to Mark Diacasi, Drakkar Close, David Tamar, Tony Ferguson. I mean, this is some elite-level pressure fighters at 155 that he's been fighting now. These are, like, like, not all of them are elite as of yet, but these are, like, some hot prospects. And obviously, Tony Ferguson is very much elite. Um, I, I like... Venata here, mostly because of those variables, but if this was at sea level, maybe I would have gone with Medeiros. So we disagree on that one. Nick, my next pick. I'm going to go ahead and choose the main event. This is a rematch between Corey Anderson and Yen Blackowicz. When they last fought Nick, um, they were both kind of a fraction of their current selves. Corey Anderson had major holes in his game, didn't have very good stand-up. You could land a bomb on him and he'll probably go out. Yen Blackowicz at that point, had pretty good stand-up, but man, if you just just want to take him down, you're good. You're going to win that fight if you just keep taking him down, and he's easy to take down at that point. Both of these guys have improved and shored up their weaknesses in the years following their initial bout, and here we are with Corey Anderson, a much improved jab, uh, improved power, at least, that we saw in his last fight against uh, Johnny Walker. He's Going, going into this fight on a bit of a winning streak, Nick, he's been looking really good against fairly good competition at light heavyweight, right? He's got a win over Patrick Cummins, who's kind of mediocre. Um, Glover Teixeira, Lira Tif Latifi, he kind of dominated. Johnny Walker, he kind of blew through. And Jan Blachowicz is 6-1 and one in his last seven. The one loss coming to the guy that took John Jones to a split decision in Thiago Santos. Wins over Luke Rockhold, uh, Ronaldo Souza. I favor Corey Anderson here because I still think he's probably going to have the wrestling advantage. I think he's probably going to have the output advantage in a big way. Blackwick sometimes throws barely anything, as we saw in his last fight. And I think Corey Anderson's improved jab, and I believe he has a reach advantage in the matchup as well. I think those things combine to give him the edge. They're fighting at elevation here, and Corey Anderson's known for his conditioning, known for his cardio, where Bien is fine there, but he doesn't have a high output. So I like Corey Anderson to combine his strengths and pick up a win here. But Deanne has a shot at landing a big bomb at some point. Who knows? Yeah, I this is a pick. This is very close to a pick for me. I was going to hold this. 
uh, till the end because I really think it could go either way. I think what's most likely to happen is that Giannis is... Uh, I could see him making a mistake similar to the mistake he made against Santos and just, like, you know, catching a big shot. I think that's uh, most likely to happen. That said, if it... I mean, over five rounds also. If it goes five rounds, I think Blankovic has a really good chance of winning. Um of Anderson um, getting, I think, getting tired uh, more quickly, of just having sharper, I think, boxing technique throughout. Um, but I, I'm, I could see Blankovic getting caught, and like Anderson's got some sick power. I mean, Jan can throw too, but what Anderson's done um, in his recent fights is pretty scary. Yeah, I, I, I do hear that. I, I just feel like the output would make it very hard for Yan to win a decision unless he hurts Corey several times. Uh, Corey's known for his cardio. I'd be surprised if he gets more exhausted than Yan toward the end of this fight. But it's, it's You think? Awesome. Over five rounds? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, he, he will have a high output, so maybe in that fourth and fifth round, if Yan is very patient, kind of like John Jones was and throws less, maybe he will have more energy toward the latter half of the fight. That's possible. So I could, I could, see, that. I could see that working out that way. What's your next pick, buddy? Oh boy! Now we're into the uh, yeah pick 'em territory all the way through. Into the we're into the dirty shit, man. Um, it's on faith and on his skills. I'm gonna go with Ray Borg over Rogerio uh, Bonterin. Um, you know, I like Borg. He hasn't looked amazing since he came back from all the issues with his son, but um, and this fight's at one twenty-five or one thirty-five. One twenty-five. Borg is coming back down. Borg, yeah, he's coming back to one twenty-five. And Ray, I don't know, Ray Borg's a real good fighter. Real, he fought, you know, fought against Demetrius Johnson. I think he's still got it. Um, I, I mean, is there anything that you see in Rogério uh, Bonterin that gives you any, you know, think that you think that the outcome is going to be different? I, I ended up agreeing with you on Ray Borg. I really like Bonterin. I think he's a yeah. super, super high prospect at one twenty-five. I just, I just feel like the elevation, Ray Borg being used to that, on top of the fact that Ray Borg is kind of created this niche of out grappling really dynamic prospects in the latter half of the fight to win a decision. That's kind of how he's applied his trade recently, and that's been working for him, even though he kind of got screwed in that Casey Kenny decision. Um, so I, I did end up favoring Rayborg very slightly, who I think might be the stronger man here. But Rogerio Bontarin is so legit, man, just about everywhere. The guy is, I think, 16-1 and one in his record. Like, that guy is, like, that's a special record on the Brazilian circuit. He hasn't been fighting a bunch of wusses, man. So I, I'm a big believer in him. I'm honestly rooting for him because I think he has a higher upside long term. But it would be good to see Ray Bork pick up a well-deserved win here yeah. as well. I also thought that Babulatov uh won the fight against uh, Bontarin, but you might have disagreed with that. I, I rewatched it, and the first time I watched it, I actually I switched from that fight and like went to the kitchen to pick up snacks, right? So I didn't see the decision get announced. I was sure that Bibilatov won, but I was barely paying attention. I rewatched it leading up to this event for my research, and man, it was really close. And honestly, I probably would give Bontarin the slight edge because of the like the stand-up was very close on both sides, but you know he kept getting top position throughout that fight. Sometimes took us back, so I, I think there's good reason to to make an argument for Bonturin in that matchup, and I think he did deserve it after all. All right, what do you got next? We're getting out of the nitty gritty here, man. Yes, sir. Um, my next picnic is going to be. Don't you dare! I don't know who you're. I, don't, I have no idea who you're thinking of. Um, don't. You... I, I, I usually know exactly who. You're, oh, I, I think I may know who you're thinking of. Um, and I'm assuming that that's not who I'm going for. I'm gonna pick. 
I'm going to pick Ruilan Paiva, Paiva excuse me, over Mark De La Rosa here. I think that De La Rosa has a shot here. Like, he's a decent overall fighter, but he's been running into brick walls uh, in the form of, like, much more established opponents in the division. Alex Perez, Kaikar France, Tim Elliott. You know, these are going to be tough guys for anyone to fight, especially fighting Tim Elliott back in 2017, where he was a much better version of himself. Um, Elias Garcia and Joby Sanchez, however, he was able to pick up wins over. So he's 2-3 and three in the UFC. Paiva's 0-2, but... His UFC debut, also against Kaikar France, he arguably deserved that decision, man. I, I would have probably given him the edge in that one, man. He took over in the second and third rounds, I thought, uh, even though Kaikar France took a split decision victory there. And then Rosario Bontarin, who's also on this card, we just discussed him, he ended up, um, like, they were just in a firefight for about a minute and a half. And first Bontarin got a big cut from Paiva, and then Bontarin just exploded and cut Paiva back, and the cut on Paiva was much more gruesome. So the fight was called only three minutes into the bout. Unfortunately, that could have been. I would still love to see that rematch. Honestly, these guys are really hot prospects here. Um, Mark Larosa's skilled man. I just I, I believe in Paiva. Before his UFC debut, he was 18 and one and well deserved man. Also on the Brazilian circuit, he's going to have a significant size advantage in the matchup um, at five foot eight versus five foot six and a four and a half inch reach advantage. I think he's really good at reversing takedowns against a lot of these guys. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do against Del Rosa, who's had trouble getting takedowns against higher-level opposition. So I like Paiva in this one. Um, I do too, mostly because I don't think it's a smart thing for a dude to fight on the same card as his wife. Yeah, you're not kidding. But he is fighting earlier than his wife, so I have a feeling that if uh, if Paiva does win, it might affect Montana's performance later. I mean, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly possible. The next fight, this is a tough one to pick because this is one of those fights where, like... You don't know if it's over for Jim Miller or if he's still got it. And Scott Holtzman is exactly the fighter where you're like, oh, geez, I don't know if Jim can pull a rabbit out of a hat again um, against a guy that you know recently knocked out, uh, Dong Hyung Ma, um, who fought a tough fight against Nick Lentz, um, who's got wins over you know Alan Patrick and, and, uh, and Daryl Horcher before he took off. But I, he's, still, he's still Jim Miller, and he is uh, sneaky as hell. Um, and resourceful, and I'm I'm gonna pick him. I do not think that the Jim Miller resurgence following uh, his uh, him him beating Lyme disease is over. I think Jim Miller figures this out. I think he catches a choke, uh, or maybe like um, gets a flash knockdown and, and follows up with something sick. Yeah, I look. I wouldn't be surprised. That's how Jim Miller has been winning his last few fights. Actually, ended up edging with him ever ever so slightly, and. The biggest reason, I think, for that is that Scott Holtzman hasn't really been finished in his career. He's got a couple of losses, but they've all been by decision. Whereas Jim Miller, if he wins in the last, let's see, ever since 2016, Nick, um, ended and 2017 started. If Jim Miller wins, it's in the first round by submission. And again, so far in a kind of a similar matchup against arguably a better version, Scott Holtzman fought Nick Lentz recently. And, you know, it was a semi-competitive decision, but Nick Lentz got enough takedowns to pick up that win here. The problem is that Jim Miller with Lyme disease, like we still don't know what he's like deep into a fight. He hasn't really won past the first round in, like I said, in over three years now. And so I, I am picking Miller more for nostalgia's sake, but I wouldn't be surprised if Miller if he's unable to finish Holtzman in the first, starts to tire out, especially at 5,000 feet elevation, including that Lyme disease. 
Um, but if he's got really figured out and his conditioning is top notch, I think he should be able to get a win here, whether it's first round finish or a decision. Yeah, I think so. I mean, also it's like, and I know I don't. There was an earlier fight where I was looking at someone's losses, but and uh, I can't remember. I was reaching some kind of conclusion that I no longer can recall. But my <laughs> my point is that the five losses Jim Miller's had in the last three years: Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, Francisco Trinaldo, yeah, Dan Hooker, sure. and Charles de Bronx Oliveira. That's you know that's a murderer's row. I agree. I mean, I guess you could say that's. That's comparable to John Dodson's loss losses, but it's um, I don't think that I don't think that Scott Holtzman is Nathaniel Wood. So I think that even though like Jim Miller's, I think Jim still has some gas left in the tank. When we look at his recent losses, they're they're against like monster monster fighters. Yeah, I agree, especially compared to Holtzman, who's athletic as heck, but not truly very developed. Even though I think these guys are the same age. I know that Jim Miller's got a lot more miles on his odometer on top of the fact that, again, guy has Lyme disease and this is at elevation. I could see that affecting him here, but uh, I'm on the same page with you on the pick. I didn't realize Holtzman was 36 also. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Holtzman had a hockey career before he entered MMA. So That's right. clearly an athlete, right? But but you know, not nearly enough time to develop his MMA game, I think, to really take advantage of the end of his prime at this point. Uh, but again, it probably helps him that he doesn't have a whole lot of miles on him. He could probably go closer to 40 than Jim Miller, for example. Um, for the final fight, Nick, that we haven't picked from, it is the other De La Rosa on the card, the wife of Mark De La Rosa. We've got Montana De La Rosa, who's got the same initials, apparently. Uh, going good submission up against, game. That's right. A good submission game, good wrestling. I think she's an All-American. Uh, Mara Romero Barellas, who she's fighting now. The Italian is actually training out of American Top Team, which is you know, about as high level a team, I think, as you can get access to in the sport. Now, she's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Her losses are to recent title challenger Caitlin Shukagian and the resurging Lauren Murphy. In a fight that I thought she was winning until Lauren Murphy scored a third-round KO, and that was just uh, last year in August. I, I went back and forth on this one as well. There's a reason it's our last pick here. I ended up going with Montana Del Rosa because she's going to have the wrestling advantage and she really does get some decent takedowns, even against Andrea Lee, who did a good job of standing up. She was able to get some takedowns. Granted, her wins are not against high-level competition. Um, Rachel Ostovich, Nadia Kassam, Christina Marks, Kathina Lowe, who I don't know who that is, but her losses are to some pretty solid competition in the last few years. Mackenzie Dern, Cynthia Cavillo, and Andrea Lee. Uh, these are, you know, one uh, kind of really good fighter in every aspect in Andrea Lee and then a couple of uh, experts in Mackenzie Dern and Calvillo. Um, I don't think Romero falls into that category, even though she trains with a great team. So I like Montana De La Rosa to persevere past the idea that her husband lost earlier in the night and pick up at least one win for their household. And that's going to be the tiebreaker in this case, Nick, because it is the 13th fight on the card. Yep. I had her, I had her also. Oh, you had her also. Great. Um, so that'll do it for our picks for the event, Nikolai. I'll be honest with you, Nick. This feels really good to me. I know the, I lost the last event, but as of now, you picked my bottom five picks that were at the very bottom of my list. You ended up picking all of them, uh, some of them as early as two, three, and four. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. I, I've got the majority of my top several picks. So I expect to come away from this one with a win. But who knows? Maybe we'll have one of those Houston judges make an appearance on this event and ruin the whole goddamn thing for one or the other of us. Let's come back, talk about our MMA Geeks betting guide.
And we are back with the MMA Geeks betting guide, folks. Uh, Going to give you guys our bet recommendations. I'll be honest with you, Nick. This has been a rough year for me. I had an excellent year last year. I think I probably had profits in like 25 out of 30 events and maybe 32, maybe 32 events, something along those lines. And this year, man, I'm 0-3 so far. The first two were very small losses, to be fair. Uh, and in this case, I ended up losing $121. A uh, few bets did not work out for me. A lot of it is because of those bad decisions. Uh, Morono didn't come through for me either. Jonathan Martinez and Andrea Lee got screwed in decisions. I had some money on uh, Reyes, two bets on Reyes that did not come through because that decision should have gone the other way. I think just, just by that fight alone, I would have had a profit had the judges seen it the other way. But bottom line is, uh, I have a $121 loss to make up for this week. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm looking to get back on my groove. I know that I have double, double, Nick, the wins that you do in our event picks. But I need to really shake back up with the betting. Uh, you, however, Nick, you had a profitable night, if only by a few bucks. You placed a bet on Caitlin Chukagian, uh, which is only 10 buck loss. You did have a parlay with Lewis and Ige, who came through for you, $20 to win, I think, $39. And then you lost $25 on Reyes. So a profit of only $4, Nick. But goddammit, plus money is plus money. So congratulations on that, buddy. Well, I'd like to donate that money to pay for your Uber to Gamblers Anonymous meetings. Can I have it for rent? It would really help. No. Oh, so just the Uber ride. <laughs> Got it. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I, you know what, Nick? It's a double win for you this week. This is rare. This is win win. Special. I like it, buddy. Let, let's hope you can carry this momentum onto next week. We almost didn't do it this week. is superior <laughs> to Jurayev this week. Yes, y- yes, yes. But again, I have twice as many wins as you do. I so don't want. Why you got to talk about the past, man? You always talk about <laughs> fair enough, buddy. Fair enough. Uh, what are your bet recommendations for this event? I'm just doing one parlay. I like the wacky parlays, as our dozen and dozen of listeners know. Um, I think that Michelle Bay is like really uh, overrated as a UFC, as a potential UFC fighter. I think he's going to bring in a lot of bad money, and that Diego Sanchez, as crazy as he is, um, is going to beat the living daylights out of this guy. Um, so I want to put. I'm going to put a um, hundred dollars um, on the combination of. Um, Diego Sanchez, the underdog, and Nathaniel Wood, the favorite, over John Dodson. And if that pays out, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll win two hundred ninety dollars. Whoa, I like it. So one hundred. Well, the payout, the payouts, the payouts two ninety. So hundred to win one ninety. So I'm going to recommend a few bets here. I'm going to place a bet on Paiva by decision at minus one fifteen, forty dollars to win thirty five. Uh, Chazon by finish. Uh, I know she's a big favorite, but by finish, you get her at minus 145. As long as she can close the deal before that final bell, $50 to win 35. I just feel like her opponents lost by finish to much lower level, smaller competitors in the past. Um, Anderson, by decision, plus 180. There's a chance, I guess, that he could finish Ian Blackowitz if his right-hand power really is on another level all of a sudden. But I think Blackowitz will probably make it to a decision. 28 bucks to 150 on that one. Blackowitz at plus 445 uh, to win by TKO, because I think that's probably his likeliest outcome. I'm only putting $11 on that to win 49 So, you know, if Anderson wins by decision or Blackwoods wins by uh, finish, then either way I profit. Um, and I'm going to recommend a parlay on Nathaniel Wood and Tim Means. 
$43 to win 50. I just feel like those two guys to get plus money on is a pretty darn good deal. And that'll do it for me uh, for the betting on this event. Uh, so, Nick, who do you think John Jones will lose the light heavyweight title to for a third time in a row in his next bout? Um, do you think it might be the winner of, of this weekend's fight? Maybe. If Anders, if, if, uh, if particularly Anderson, if Anderson wins in spectacular fashion, I I think it'll be Anderson. If it's a ho-hum fight, I think Dominic Reyes runs it back. They had a really, John Jones had a really interesting tweet storm today about Reyes and, uh, and wanting to run it back. Um, Jones has been very responsive and pushing back a lot on fans who don't think that he won or, or, or an impressed or this notion of a robbery. Um, so I could see uh, Jones, you know, kind of getting pissed off. I could see Reyes wanting, you know, having confidence in wanting to do it. Um, I think Reyes should take two or three fights before another shot. I think he has some things to work on. Um, but we'll see. I think it'll. I think it'll. I think it's very likely it's a, it's a second fight um, with Reyes. But maybe maybe Anderson uh, gets a shot before that. John Jones actually alluded to me going to fight Reyes. Yeah, he did. Excellent. He said, he's, like, ca- he's like, he's like, he's like, Uncle, someone was calling for it, and he's like, someone was like, give Reyes his rematch. And Jones is like, call Uncle Dana. I love that. You know what? I'm